And the first one is uh, Isaiah 11, 1 to 5. It's interesting because I was about to read Isaiah 1. So guess what? I haven't read this before yet. (laughs) And that's on page um, 725 in the um, Church Bibles. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of power, the Spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge, but what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness he will judge the needy, with justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. And the second reading is from Mark 6 on page 1051, starting at verse 1. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him, that he does, and that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offence at him. Jesus said to them, Only in his own hometown, among his relatives and in his own house, is a prophet without honour. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and then heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for having me this evening. It's wonderful to be here. I love the comforts of life. You might say, I love the comfort of home. Uh, For me, if I was to actually think home and where I grew up, I'd have to go back to the Blue Mountains, although I must clarify, not the Bells Line of Road Blue Mountains. Uh, I'm thinking where all the population really is, up towards Katoomba, uh, and I grew up in a little town called Bullerborough, about 15 minutes from Katoomba, uh, between Lawson and Wentworth Falls. Now, I lived there for the first 22 years of my life, until I got married, and my wife and I uh, moved to the foot of the mountains. But when I first got married, I remember I'd often go back and visit my dad. I used to love it. I used to love driving up the mountains. And back in those days, I had a car with the unwind the window. So I'd unwind the window. I could smell the difference of the smell of the air from all the trees. It started to get cooler. I felt fresher. I felt invigorated. Even the feeling of my ears popping as I went up the mountains was a welcome relief. I loved it. I felt soothed. I felt like I was home and I was comfortable. And even when I'd go home, there were times I actually went back and visited my home church, a little church that I'd grown up going to through my teenage years uh, that I loved. 
As I walked through the door, old friends would greet me. They'd ask, how's it going? How's your marriage going? What have you been doing? Things like that. And it, it was great. It was comfortable. It was relaxed. But then I wondered if it was too relaxed, that they'd lost something. You see, there didn't seem to me to be the urgency that Mark suggests Peter had, uh, that Jesus had, sorry, uh, for the mission. Uh, did you see it there in Matthew chapter, actually we didn't read it, but it's from Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 12 and 13. Sorry, Mark chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. When I get the right passage and the right verses, I'll be right. So Mark 6, verses 12 and 13, we see this urgency that comes. Jesus sent the disciples out and they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. There seems to be this great urgency. People need to repent. They need to hear the message. You need to get out there and do it. And when I looked at my little church, I felt like this urgency, this call to mission this desire to save the lost, well, it just wasn't there. I felt like they'd become too comfortable, too comfortable with each other and maybe too comfortable at home, maybe too comfortable with Jesus. And so tonight I want to ask the question, have we become too comfortable with Jesus? Maybe we've been at this church for quite some time. Maybe we've been a Christian for quite some time. Have we become too comfortable? Well, firstly, in the passage, it seems like the hometown is too comfortable. Pick it up with me in chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Sounds pretty good so far, but then it goes on. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What is this wisdom that has been given him that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offence at him. Jesus goes home, even goes and speaks, They listen, but then they take offence at him. Who is this Jesus kid? We know who he is. He grew up with us. What, who does he think he is? He thinks he knows everything now. He can come and tell us how to live and that we've got it wrong? Maybe we've experienced children or been like that ourselves. How do people older respond? What life experience do you have? You haven't lived as long as I have, maybe. You don't know the things I know. Who are you? But that's the danger, isn't it? That's the danger when it comes to Jesus. Jesus goes into the synagogue and initially they're amazed. It's their conclusion from the amazement that's the problem. See, being amazed is the right response. We're meant to be amazed at Jesus. If you just look back in chapter 5, and his reputation would have preceded him, you will see that he has even raised a dead girl back to life. That's amazing. 
That's meant to really knock your socks off and get you thinking. But for his hometown, they can't hear that. All they can see is that little kid that grew up in the town. Who is he? Who does he think he is? And is that a challenge for us? Have you grown up with Jesus? Have you heard the story since you were a little kid? You know all the stories inside out. They're just like the Sunday school stories that you've heard for many times. Have you become too comfortable? Have we missed who Jesus really is at times? Do we need to come back to him with freshness and see again how amazing, how incredible, how wonderful he is in what he's done? You see, the, the reality for the Christian, of course, is that we should be constantly growing, constantly being amazed at the scriptures constantly encouraged as we meet together with other Christians who hold to the truth of the gospel, constantly spurred and, and, and expecting things in prayer as we trust him to do his amazing work. Don't get too comfortable. Don't leave Jesus as that little kid. Listen to what he says. They are amazed, but then they are offended. Now, Jesus knows of their response to him. They are too comfortable. But you know what? Jesus' response to them and that situation surprises me. You see, when I'd go back to visit my home church, uh, I just wanted to point out their mistakes. I wanted to say to them, guys, people need to hear about Jesus. You need to get out there and go and do something about it. In fact, I'll tell you that when I left that church, when my wife and I got married, we came from different areas, we deliberately chose a church that would lead to me working for the gospel, working for the church. We deliberately chose that church because we wanted to train under the minister at that church. And so that was part of our drive. But to take you a little bit further, one of the things I was really keen on was to go and be a country, a Presbyterian minister in country New South Wales. You might wonder why. Well, my dad happened to have been a Presbyterian, sorry, not my dad, my grandfather was a Presbyterian minister in country New South Wales. And you think, oh, you just wanted to follow your grandfather. Yeah, at one level I did. But you see, there were certain fundamental things that he taught that I disagreed with. So for me, I saw it as, I've got to go and fix those things. There's a problem there. I need to get out there and fix the problems that he's created. Oh, me, so wise. Fortunately, God had other plans and he needed to teach me. And even as I look at this passage here, I, I feel taught again. But how does Jesus respond when they take offence at him? What does he do? Surely a few lightning bolts would fix them things up there. No, he holds back. Verse 4, Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown... Among his relatives and in his own house is a prophet without honour. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Here's Jesus, the great miracle worker, the great teacher. He holds back. Sees the problem, sees their lack of faith, 
He could not, though, do miracles or be honoured by them. But he doesn't leave instantly. Do you notice that? Couldn't do what he would normally do. He has to hold back. You know, I wonder if that's like that often with our families. When I was younger, I wanted to convince my family that they needed to trust in Jesus. Some did, a number didn't. And so, of course, I went gung-ho. And what happened? I pushed them away. I've learnt over time that when it comes to family, often we say less. Because the more we say, the more problems we create, the more stumbling blocks we put in the way. You see, trusting in Jesus means we need to trust him to be doing the work and be seeking to love those around us. We don't want to come across as judgmental and harsh. We need to be loving. When I went back to my home church, instead of jumping in and and telling them that they were wrong, I actually had to hold back. I actually had to look a little bit more carefully to see there's something deeper here that I'm missing, that there is actually a work happening here. Sometimes it's wise to hold back. Could that be the case for you in your hometown? I've only been at this church five or six years now, but is it the case for you that sometimes you have to be a little bit more careful about what you say and how you say it? You have to be very wise in the words we use and the things we say. We can't always come in full on with only the gospel as in Jesus died and rose again. Sometimes we have to think more carefully about how we point to that. And I think that's what Jesus does. It doesn't totally stop him being who he is, but he responds differently in his hometown. He remains there, but he changes the nature of the work. But has he given up on mission? Surely not. He came preaching that the God, the kingdom of God is near, back in Mark chapter 1. Just when it seems like he's gaining traction, has he given up? No. In fact, a new strategy. A new strategy that is the second part of what we'll look at tonight. Pick it up with me in verse 6, halfway through. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to, the, to him He sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals but not an extra tunic. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. You see, in contrast to the response to Jesus, where he's not accepted in his hometown, his disciples will receive a different response. Those he can send out two by two, preaching the message. They're able to do a work that Jesus himself can't do. You see, I couldn't easily go back into my hometown and say, you've got it all wrong, because then I'm seen to be offensive. But maybe somebody else who doesn't know them can sometimes say that word in a way that I could never get away with. 
And I think that's partly the way Jesus works here. He sends them out two by two to preach the gospel, to do some amazing work, authority over evil spirits, wow. But notice how he sends them. What's he send them with? Don't take anything. Wear sandals. Take your staff. That should bring up memories for us from the Old Testament. Uh, Back when the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt and God sends all those plagues on the Egyptians, what does he tell them to take with them when they escape, when they run out after Pharaoh kicks them out? Take your staff, wear your sandals, get on your way and get going. Trust me, ultimately. And for the disciples, as they go out two by two, they too are to depend on God for their needs. It doesn't seem like they've booked ahead or anything. They just walk into a town, hope to find a house to stay in for a while. What a strategy. Sounds unusual to us, doesn't it? Can you imagine just walking down the road? (laughs) Oh, here's the next town. Let's hope someone will give me a roof to sleep under. We, We just can't imagine it, can we? But that's the dependence they are to operate under. It's so different to our world that says, no, 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 as you grow up, you've got to go and get the right qualifications. You've got to study hard. You might even get married, go and buy a house, settle down, be involved somehow in maybe raising a family, become grandparents basically, and then pass on the wealth. Is that the strategy we sort of follow in our world? But Jesus' mission calls for a radical departure. Don't get me wrong, owning a house might be a good thing. Getting good qualifications can be helpful for the sake of the kingdom. But Jesus calls us not to trust in these things, but to trust in him. Trust that he will provide for our needs. And did you notice again, back to verses 12 and 13, What happens? As they trust in him, they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. God uses them for an amazing work. God works through them. They preach, they heal, the two go hand in hand as they depend upon him. How does this apply to us? How are we going in our comfortable church? It can be a good thing to have a good church. I was encouraged by our prayers earlier that reminded us of how blessed we are to have faithful Bible teaching week in, week out. But do we hear the call of the gospel? The urgency of the message? See, maybe here the work will be slower, but it's no less important. It does continue. People grow. We look to engage the lost. We've done that, even if I just think back over the last few months. We, we held this great carols event in the park. Oh, no, we didn't. It was called off, but we were going to a carols event in the park. I've been saying all day we did. I forgot that it was called off. Uh, we um, went caroling even in the streets. We held services where we wanted to explain to people what we believe. I believe there is that openness to the gospel. We keep living with people. We keep trying to share with them and and tell them what we believe. 
And then, for the 10 o'clock service anyway, a great initiative this year that I've seen where we've set up a roster for people to come around for lunch after with the expectation that there might be new people at church and then we can invite them around. What a great idea. What a great setup to do. What a great initiative. And so we are there, but does it go further? This year we celebrate 150 years of our church. Did you know that? I only just found it out the last few weeks. It would have started 150 years ago with a few people who came out here and said, hang on, we want other people to know about Jesus. Let's meet together and see what we can do. Here we are still meeting 150 years later. That's something to give thanks for. How many people have been converted through the ministry of this church? Sometimes it's easy to look at the last month and go, oh, nothing, and forget that, well, hang on, there's been 150 years. And if we stay here, how do we keep it going? See, I think the other challenge, and it will be a challenge for us particularly this year, we're short on ministry staff, aren't we? We're feeling the weight of that. I know I am. Could we imagine this year, though, sending people out? Oh, that hurts, doesn't it? Hang on, we're struggling as it is. But if we hear the urgency of the message, we'll be praying to our God and saying, God, please raise up workers for the harvest field. And even if they come from ourselves, that they may go out, preach the message, and see people repent. How hard it was, I know, to lose Emma last year. But how great to hear that she's out there, sharing the message. It hurts, but it's part of being part of the kingdom and seeing the urgency of that message, the importance of the message going out. And in all this, as we serve our God, as we live under him, may many people repent and believe the good news. The good news that only comes through Jesus, who brings salvation. Let's pray. Our great God and Father, thank you that you took us out of our comfort zones and brought us to Jesus. Please help us not to become overly comfortable, but to be constantly growing in Christ and growing as a people who have a sense of urgency in seeing others come to know and love Jesus. Father, please raise up workers for the harvest field that we may be involved in sending them out. In Jesus' precious name, amen.